everyone and Merry Christmas. My name is Leanne and I'm here in my home in Savage, Minnesota. And I'll be reading our scripture today from Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Well, welcome friends. Uh, and I hope you still are with us uh, after that beloved kids program. Wow, that was phenomenal and uh, tough to follow, but I'll try. So I'm Rob, if we haven't met before, I'm glad you're with us as we're journeying towards Advent, and I want to start with a story. So once upon a time, there were two farmers. Now, they lived next to each other, uh, and they had this feud running for several years. In fact, since it started, they hadn't even been talking to each other, and it started over a cat. Yeah, a cat. Uh, it was a stray cat, and they both started feeding it, and then they both claimed it as its own, and then from there, it just went downhill. In fact, one of them had a spring on his property. He dug a ditch for the spring to divide their properties so they wouldn't be worried about crossing into each other's, um, you know, yard and property. And so one day, a carpenter came looking for work, stopped by one of the farmer's houses, knocked on the door, asked him if he needed any work. And, and this was the farmer who looked out over the the ditch that had been dug and now the creek that ran through and he's like, well, you know what? If my neighbor thinks that he's going to dig a ditch, then I want to finish the job. I would like you to build this nice, big, tall fence to divide our property so I don't even have to look at the guy. And the carpenter looked over at his shed, barn-like place where some, there was a pile of wood and he said, well, you're going to need a lot more wood. So... I, I can start for you, though. And so the guy, the carpenter said that, and the, the farmer said, well, I'll go into town and get more wood. Uh, this took several hours, though. So the farmer leaves, goes to get the wood, and when he comes back, he's expecting to see at least a little bit of progress on this uh, fence. And instead of a barrier, he actually sees the carpenter building a bridge across the creek. And not only does he see this, but he sees his neighbor now walking across that bridge and walking over to him. And he gets out of the car and his neighbor puts out his arms like this and gives this sheepish grin and he said, you are a brave man. I've, I've been such a fool. I didn't think you'd ever want to talk to me again. 
do you think you can forgive me? And before he knows it, the guy that hired the carpenter to build the, the fence is sticking out his hand to shake his neighbor's hand and he goes, ah, shucks, I knew it was your cat. See, this story is told by uh, singer-songwriter David Wilcox. And he uses it as an introduction to his song, Fearless Love. Now, he wrote the song and it goes on to weave together this story about a church protest and then someone who's caught up in the middle of the protest remembering Jesus' words uh, to love our neighbors and actually to love our enemies and uses the example of carrying a Roman soldier's pack, not one mile, which Roman law required, but going the extra mile. And he says in the chorus, fearless love makes you cross the border. Now, I want you to think about that. Because right now, we have so many borders and dividers and, and metaphorical and literal fences in our, in our world. It can be so easy to forget how fearless Jesus' love was and still is. It's, it's a love that doesn't, isn't just fearless. It actually defies and overcomes fear. And so today, as we continue this journey towards Christmas through Advent, I want us to look at, excuse me, I want us to look at the love that Jesus brought into our world and to our lives today. So as a quick recap, Advent means coming or arrival. Hopefully you can remember that. And Advent is this truly rediscovery of Christmas. It's a season that links past, present, and future It links the past, joining us with the ancient longing from the prophets and the people for the Messiah. It helps us to celebrate Jesus' birth in the present, and it also looks forward to his second coming, where he will come again, and and we get to get swept up in that expectation. And so as we've journeyed through Advent, we've looked at specific individuals and their stories and how they approached Christmas or that first Christmas. But today I want to take a different approach. I want us to actually think about all the characters in the Christmas story and and just look at how different they are and how the birth of Christ brings all of them together. I mean, think about it. If we start the story in Luke and we walk through it in order, we see Zachariah and Elizabeth, two old faithful people, Then it moves to Mary and Joseph, very young, kind of ordinary people. And then it goes back to old people with Simeon and Anna, prophets. And and so we see just in this beginning of the story, the old and the young united and God's promises of past, present, and future brought together. If we continue the story, then we meet the shepherds and the angels. So we've got the ordinary humans and the supernatural beings and The heaven and earth are brought together. The physical and the spiritual are united. And then the shepherds may, like, they left their animals, but there were animals likely at this place that Mary and Joseph were. And we see humans and animals sort of mixed together in this birth story. Again, remnants of the Garden of Eden and of creation where where all of creation was in harmony. And then if we turn to Matthew's gospel, we see 
In that story, we see the seeking magi or wise people, the sinister king Herod, and these religious scholars. And on Christmas Eve, in person and online, we'll be talking more about the wise men. But today, I just want to note that these, these wise men or wise people or magi, as they're often called, were people like most likely from another race and place who were seeking the promised king. And they meet this sinister, evil king who's suspect to the promised Messiah. And then we meet the religious scholars that are almost indifferent about the promised Messiah. But again, an incredible cast of characters so vast and different that have no other reason to come together other than the birth of Christ that brings them together. In fact, all of the characters that are brought together by the birth of Jesus don't seem to fit our expectations. We expect some spiritual VIPs or some very important earthly people to be there. Instead, it's actually a cast of ordinary people, a cast of a lot of nobodies, a cast of people in, in a world of divisions that would have been inconceivable for the Messiah to actually appear to such low-class and non Jewish people. Not all of them, but still plenty of them. So I want us to think about and consider for a few minutes how Jesus' birth could bring together such a divided people. What does his birth and life tell us? And and if we can understand, accept, and embody this love, I truly believe we can change our world. So first we have to start at the idea of where Christ comes from. And he comes from God, at least that's what he claims. And God actually defines love. I've done lots and lots of weddings that I think at over a dozen. The verses that are picked to be read at them is the the greatest chapter on love, 1 Corinthians 13. Remember, Corinth was the hometown of the Greek goddess Aphrodite, who would have been this Greek goddess love, love. And here is where Paul explains what true love is. He says in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is patient and love is kind. Love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Love isn't self-seeking, it keeps, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. Just take those words in, in the season of Christmas, in the season that's really, really hard. And, and I think you'll see that is a pretty complete picture of love, that it's not just feelings, but it's action and attitude. It's a posture And see, the Apostle John, much later in his life, he wrote these three short letters after his gospel that made it into the Bible. And in the first of those letters, he says in chapter 4, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Not God has love, God is love. 
And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, he says. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God is love. That's what John tells us. God defines love because he is love. Love is his nature. It's his whole being. And if God is love, then we could say that God is patient and God is kind. And God does, God does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered. God just keeps no record of wrongs. Praise God for that. Can I get an amen in the comments? He keeps no record of wrongs. He does not delight in evil, but he rejoices with the truth. God always protects. God always trusts. God always hopes. And God always perseveres. And God never fails. Friends, that's good news. And I think that translation is very acceptable and appropriate for who God is. And it is this embodiment of love. In fact, God demonstrates his love by sending his one and only son, sending Jesus, who is called God, with us. See, even before Jesus was born, he was called God with us. You heard it from Leanne in our reading today that all this took place to fulfill what the prophet had said or that what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. So if God defines love and God with us embodies love, then we could say that Jesus embodies God's love. See, I think that's important because when you look at the Bible, you see all over the place that God talks about love. In fact, I would say that God isn't, the Bible isn't this manual, this basic instructions before we leave earth, but the Bible is God's love story to us. So, of course, it's filled with love. And we've talked in the past on where God uses the word love the first times in the story, and it shows us this incredible, sacrificial, others-focused picture of love. But if we just go back to the very beginning, we see that God made this world in love. He puts creation all in harmony with each other. And then he shares life with the humans in this place called Eden, which means delight. And he calls these humans children, but also companions. There's an intimacy and a dependency and a, and a, and a friendship that is, that is beautiful. And yet... The humans choose to rebel, and when that happens, brokenness, separation, and death be now, now become part of our story. And instead of leaving us, because separation, brokenness, and death are really hard, God continues to pursue humanity. In fact, he works his plans, and he makes his promises, ultimately promising a Messiah, a Savior, to make a way for us to be restored with him. Again, that's good news. And that way is Jesus. He becomes the way and the truth and the life. He brings the reconnection and the restoration and the redemption to us. Not only through his birth, 
but also through his life and his death. And so near the end of his ministry, as he's gathered the 12 together for their last Passover meal, as he's walking to the garden where he's going to be betrayed, he says this to his disciples. He says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Now remain in my love. He doesn't say strive for my love. He doesn't say work hard to try and give my love or embody my love. He says remain in my love. Just stay there. Just as the Father, just when you obey my commands, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. And I've told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. My joy, he says. And that joy will overflow. It's not a drudgery to obey God's commands or follow him if we remain in his love. He gives us his joy as we remain in his love. And those commands do not become work then. They become part of what we do, but they are not, a, they are not work. And he says, yes, my joy or your joy will overflow. So this is my command. Love each other in the way that I have loved you. In fact, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You know, it's hard to hear that verse in this season when we have a constant reminder of the death toll numbers on our newsfeed. That greater love has no love than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. All of a sudden that starts to open up new ways and new places and new meanings And you should feel a little vulnerable. But again, love isn't just what God defines. God defines this love. Jesus embodies this love. But this love is what defines us as Jesus believers, as his followers. It's supposed to mark and characterize us. And and the church throughout history, let's be honest, we have not done well at this. In fact, it's so easy for us to point fingers at how about the crusades or the conquest or the colonization that happened in world after world after world. But rather than point our fingers at history, we should stop and look at the church today, not just here, but around the world and say, are we doing any better or are we also failing to live out love? I mean, my wife sees patients uh, all through the week and she hears story after story after story of families that are being torn apart in this pandemic. She sees grandparents that with tears in their eyes say, I have two kids. One of them is treating COVID like this in ways I disagree. They're being too reckless. But the other one is treating it like this. They're being so protective that I haven't gotten to see my grandkids in 10 months. And and tears start to come down. Other siblings that are trying to navigate Christmas and like, who will we see and who will we not see? And I, oh, I can't see that person because they're doing this. Or I can't see this person because they won't let me see this person. And again, we're just being torn apart and it's not just in families. It's all through our society. Friends, does Jesus' love have anything to say about this? 
I think it does. We, we know that none of us are perfect individually or as a corporate church or even as a local body of church. But rather than focusing on other people's failures to live out love, can we look at our own lives and see how we have failed to embody God's love? Not to put ourselves down, but to give ourselves a clear picture of who we are. We are all broken and separated from God. As Romans tells us, we all fall short of the glory of God. I sit here as a sinner, but a sinner saved by God's grace. And I worship alongside people who I call sisters and brothers, who are also sinners, but saved by God's grace. Let's not bring ourselves to be more holy than we are. Let's not look whether we're at the store or out about or on social media and and decide who is holier than each other. There's so much shaming that's going on in the world by Christians and non-Christians. What does Jesus say? He says, this is how people will know you are my followers. By your love for one another. We've got to ask the Holy Spirit, rather than focus on other people's failures to live out love, ask the Holy Spirit, how can I live out love? How can I see myself rightly as a person in desperate need of God's grace and so thankful to have access to God's grace and from that place be a person that says, God, Where are my opportunities to show your love to a world that needs it? I mean, these kids just gave a beautiful story of God's love, of his grace, of Christ's coming. I didn't feel one ounce of frustration or hate in my heart when I watched those kids. Now, an hour ago, when I was driving to the ministry center before we live streamed today, I watched a guy fling a coffee cup, like a, a, dis, a disposable paper coffee cup, out his window. And I'm like, don't litter. What are you doing? And then I thought, wait a second. That's not what God asked me to do. Yes, God asked me to take care of those around me, but I can't control what someone throws out their window or not. I've got to ask God, okay, God, would you, and, and I truly pray this, friends. God, would, would you help this person to realize how precious our world is? How, how we all need to take care of this world? That there is a lot of beauty in God's creation. And would you help change my heart for even being frustrated about that? I know it's a simple thing, but it's, It's just this little shift that we can make because God's love actually empowers us to cross borders. That's the good news. When we come to Jesus, when we give our lives to him, our lives are restored in love and to that love. We're fulfilled in God's love. And then we live in him and he lives in us. That's why John is able to continue his first letter to Jesus or his first letter um, that we started with chapter 4 and say this, Dear friends, since God so loved us, let us love one another. 
No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, then God lives in us and his love is, catch this, made complete in us. His love is made complete when we show his love to others. That's how they can see God. This is how we know that we live in him and he lives in us. He's given us the Holy Spirit. See, I don't have to do it in my own strength. I do it in God's Spirit. God's Spirit empowers me to see and testify that the Father has sent his Son into the world as the Savior. And if we acknowledge, actually if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, then God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. 1 John 4. We know and rely on the love that God has for us. Friends, what are you relying on in this season? I want you to consider that. Maybe even be so bold as to, you know, answer that in the comments. What are you relying on in this season? Because I know some of you are relying on 2021. As if like when we magically flip the calendar, things are just going to be okay. They're not. It's still going to be a long winter. I know others of you are relying on people wearing masks. And sometimes I rely on me wearing a mask or someone else wearing a mask. But I have to be, remind myself that, that I can't put my trust, my hope, and my faith in a mask. No, I, I put one on, I wear one, I, try, I don't wear one outside, and you can, you can write hate to me, that's fine. But I also realize that if someone else isn't wearing a mask, I'm probably just going to stay six feet away. And then I'm going to pray for them, but I'm not going to shame them, because it's, it's not that different than the guy who throws his cup out the car window. Really, in that moment... It's about my heart. That's what I think this is telling us. And you might disagree with me, but I think we need to be so guarded with our hearts. That's what Proverbs 4 tells us. Guard our hearts for it's the wellspring of life. So are you relying on God's spirit in this time? Or are you relying on outside circumstances in this time? I don't know if our world has ever felt so fractured. And yet, in the darkness, that's when God's love shines the brightest. I've heard so much us and them talk, even after the election. But remember, the world throughout history has been filled with war and oppression. That doesn't make it okay. It just means there will always be people who think and talk in terms of us and them. But I think Jesus would say, not so with you. Not so with you. You are not to be people who talk about us and them. That's how Cain and Abel talked to each other, or at least that's how Cain looked at his brother Abel. It's gone back to the beginning of time. We're not perfect. We're sinners saved by God's grace. So think, I mean, the reality is that as descendants of Adam and Eve, we have a bent towards sin in our life. 
means we have a bent towards putting ourselves first. We have a bent towards being selfish. We have a bent towards shaming others. We have a bent towards telling others what to do. We have a bent towards control. We have a bent towards, you know, all of these ways of trying to fix others and not focus on what our own heart is at, where our own heart is at. Again, Jesus never calls us to an us them mentality. No matter who it was, whether it was the Pharisees, the ordinary crowd, or even his disciples, and especially the religious leaders, he says, no, 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 there's no us and them talk. If anyone is not against me, they're for me. You've heard it said, love your enemies, or love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I tell you to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecuted you. That's how he started his ministry. And then he ends his ministry saying, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Friends, the early church was known for this radical love. They they called each other family. They called each other brother and sister, The person that you're texting or social media shaming on the other side of the screen is an actual person who is a sinner who's loved by God. And God loves them. There is no us and them. Jesus continued to do that over and over. And I want you to think about the people that he even put on his discipleship team. Yes, there were a bunch of uh, sailors, Fisherman. But he has Simon the Zealot and Matthew the despised tax collector. How do you think that went down? I mean, a zealot and a tax collector couldn't be more opposite, think more opposite perspectives, and yet Jesus puts them in the same boat and puts them on the same team. And somehow they have to figure out how to see that they're not us and them, but just us. And they do. I believe they do. Because Jesus' love penetrates their hearts. And they stop seeing the other differences and they start seeing how far they are from God and how much they need God and how much they need his grace. And that's what I think we're invited to in this season. And when we do that, love empowers us to cross all of those divides. Not just the fences, Not just the social media, not just the politics, any divide. That's why his story of the Good Samaritan is so radical. He takes someone that's despised by their culture and he makes them the hero of the story. Friends, we need to remember that our Savior is the hero of the story. He brings all of these types of people together, even at his birth, but certainly at his life and ultimately at his death. And when we come to him, he gives us his spirit that is greater than any spirit in the world. So I know a lot of us have a fear right now that this crossing of the border means that we have to give something up whether it's our own understanding, our own perspective, our own pride, our saving face. But remember, 
God's perfect love drives out fear. That's how John concludes this first letter that he says. His perfect love drives out fear. So whatever you're fearing today, would you let God's perfect love wash over you, soak over you, that you would be made in his light, seen in his salvation, and then illuminating for others, shining for others to be a bridge, not a barrier. That is our invitation this Christmas season. For us to remember that Jesus tore every wall down. He breaks down every division so we can, in his flow, be his bridge rather than his barrier. So I want you to ask the Holy Spirit right now, what borders, what borders God might be asking you to cross? They might be in your own home. They might be with someone in your family. It might start with asking for forgiveness. It might start with offering forgiveness. It might go to your work or your neighborhood. It might even go to your own church. But ask the Holy Spirit right now, what borders do I need to cross in this time? And help me to take a step, God, to listen, to ask some self-reflective questions rather than attack or defend. God is with you in this moment. He is with us in this Christmas season. That's what we celebrate. That God is with us. That he came to us not when we had our ducks in a row, but when everything was going to hell. Literally. God loved us so much that he gave his one and only son for us so that everyone who believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He died for us while we were still sinners. This is good news. We don't have to focus all the time on being a sinner, but I want you to hear today that you and I are separated from God and that God gives us an invitation to be reconciled with him and that invitation comes through the atoning sacrificial blood of Jesus. He offers it to us and he offers it to them. And when you accept it, you also accept that there is no more us and them. I pray that you do that today. I pray that if you've done that today and you're in a place of hurt, you're in a place of need, you're in a place of anger or frustration or division, that you would come to him too. So would you pray with me as we close? Father, I thank you that your love bridges every divide. That the love that you show us with giving your first and your best is the atonement that we not only need for our sin, but we need for the world's sin. That as your people, God, as your people saved by your grace, who understand that, can truly offer that to even all the people that we disagree with. God, what other organization in the world brings a vast, such a various group of people together. No, it's only the church. That when I come together and I can be with all of these different people, the one thing that brings us together is your son. 
And people from different political places, people from different national places, people from different even theological places can come and we can worship alongside one another and it is the most glorious testimony to your good news. And it broadens our perspective. It enlarges our understanding. It brings us a further grace and a further patience. God, in no other place can that happen but your church. Oh God, would you bring us together? Even if it's virtual, would you bring us together? I pray right now for those whose homes are fractured. Maybe by the pandemic or maybe really by what the pandemic is magnifying. And I pray that your healing, your confession, your grace, and your patience would come to those homes. God, I pray for, for church conversations that have just crumbled around the world, around this, the region, and even, even in our own place. And I pray that you would bring people together. That your love would cover a multitude of sin today. That we would see how much that we have been saved by your own grace that we could offer just a little bit to someone else that might be annoying us, might be frustrating us, might be disagreeing with us. God, you don't call us to agree on everything, but in Christ we can agree on who you are, on what you've done, and on how you set us free. Thank you for that. I pray that as we enter Christmas, we could take even today, even the next few days, and we could say, Lord, where are the places that I need to be a bridge instead of a barrier? And by your love, empower me to make the first move. In Jesus' name, amen.